Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. A very good day to you, Mzanti. Welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM. South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makuzen is our producer, and our technical producer for today is Rob Parkins. You may reach us on 0892-102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweet at otherwise safm, or at Shadow Twala. Now, today is also International Youth Day, but we highlight two young women's lives who are doing positive work in their different fields and communities. Zibum Tianen has just come back from the U.S. and has just met President Obama on the 31st of July as part of the... Obama's Yali project, and of course, she'd been selected as Mandela Washington Fellow for 2015. We find out about her trip and what she has brought back uh, and how it's influenced her her work that she does in, in South Africa, because she is also CEO of Zulu Polymerics, and we'll find out about that. Then we speak with Tato Khanya Khatanye. Tato Khatanya is a social entrepreneur uh, who's also saw an opportunity to make a positive impact in her community and now has a thriving business. Uh, we will be crossing over to Sydney, Australia, to Michael Flismas, because there is a game between uh, a Netball World Cup, in fact, taking place, and the game between South Africa, Spa, Proteas, and Australia, who's number one in the world. And that's happening uh, today. So we'll cross over to them in a bit. But first... Chew on these wise words. The Lunch Bite on SAFM. Well, I thought we could all take a deep breath and let's learn how to breathe. Because that's what, you know, that's what I've been talking about throughout the week. Learning to breathe properly is easy and will reward you with immediate results. Simply follow these seven easy steps. So stand or sit comfortably with a straight spine. Come now, Hazel. Um, Comfortably with a straight spine. Then relax your shoulders and place your hands on your lap, Rob, or at your side. (laughs) Exhale completely. Draw the diaphragm in and up. And slowly inhale through your nose by contracting your diaphragm out and down. Your belly should rise, followed by your mid-chest, and finally, your upper chest as air fills your lungs. Pause. Now slowly exhale through your nose while drawing your diaphragm in and up. Repeat this process three times, taking consecutively fuller breaths with each inhale. Congratulations, you've just taken three deep breaths. Many people have not taken the time to breathe this deeply since childhood. Something has come naturally to SAFM, like being SA's news and information leader. SAFM, 104 to 107. Zibum Tiane is the CEO of Zolusche Polymerics, a company that specializes in the design and manufacturing of synthetic steel products. And she has just gone back from the United States of America. And, uh, of course, most exciting is the fact that she met President Barack Obama as part of the uh, Obama's Young African Leaders Initiative, known as YALI. Zibu, hello, welcome, congratulations, all of the above. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much, Mom Shadow. I'm so excited. <laughs> now, take a deep breath. Did you hear me give everyone lessons in taking a breath? <laughs> Listen, I was I was holding, and I'm like, okay, this must be for me. This is the universe right now. 
telling me to take the three big breaths. No, I really appreciate it. And greetings to you and greetings to the listeners. Well, congratulations. How was it meeting President Barack Obama? Oh, oh my goodness. I... I could. I normally post. I, I was posting about my journey the whole time as I left South Africa, and I had made everybody expect that I'm going to have this big post about how I felt. Mm-hmm. And all I could say was, "Let me catch a breath," and I'm still <laughs> trying to catch the breath. It was. It was amazing. It's an. It's an amazing experience, and there's no way to describe how magnetic and how charming he is in real life. Well, let me share a secret with you. Every man in power is that charming and magnetic. <laughs> it's the power around them. So when you meet Bill Clinton and you meet Nelson Mandela, it's the same thing, believe me. But, oh, but it, it, was, it was an amazing experience. And, and to, to have him interact uh, with us at that level, because he, he really has an ability to make you feel as if you are the most important person to him in that moment that he's with you, and he drives his message into your head until you believe what he believes about you. I was in awe of him. That's fantastic, because I was going to ask, most importantly, what sort of conversations did you have? If you had a one-on-one with him, or, as you mentioned, possibly he spoke to you as a group, but what did you take away from it? Um, the the method that they used, he spoke to us as a group where he addressed us for a few minutes and then we had an opportunity then to pose questions to him. The conversation was mainly around his investments in us as a group. Uh-huh. The, he, he really wanted to drive across the fact that Africa is on the rise uh-huh. and that his his philosophy on improving Africa is to realize that aid does not come in food alone, but that if Africa's youth will take the opportunity and realize who they are in Africa and be able to understand that they've got the support not only of the United States government, but their own government to do something. Mm-hmm. So it was really a call to action to all the youth in the African diaspora. And his, his request was, you are going to go back to your countries. And I cannot, as a single person, Barack, meet each and every youth in your countries and convince them mm-hmm. that this is their time. But I'm hoping that if I take you out of your society, if I bring you here, if I give you this much attention, that you will understand that we are all willing to partner with you as Africa grows. So the topics were varied to his feelings about the UN Security Council, to not having a permanent seat for Africa, to his feelings about youth entrepreneurship in Africa and what needs to be done to improve it, and to how he is as a father. It was a very personal discussion that he had with us as young African leaders from our different countries, and I think it was just on his side to reinforce the message that we do not need permission to lead that we are no longer the leaders of tomorrow because there is a feeling amongst us that we've all been told you are the leader of tomorrow, that actually we are the leaders of now and the leaders of tomorrow are in high school. And if we are waiting for permission, we are unlikely to receive it. We need to lead now. That was basically the theme of the conversation amongst us as a cohort and with him and because he had a lot of support from the State Department that was coming to brief us even on that day. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he got through to you, you know, but, and, I, and I wonder, though, 
how and you were with uh, other young people from different parts of the continent and and the continent by the way is largest population now is young people mm. so how amongst yourselves coming from different countries did you talk about ever how you're going to disseminate that information how you're going to encourage other young people to 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 take up that the you know the challenge that obama has given of of just you know rising and leading you know the the continent did you have those kinds of conversations or is there a platform for that kind of feedback from other students or, or other 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 young people who are, are part of the yali initiative yeah, very much so. I think the most uh, important thing about the way in which the presidency designed the program is that it was actually a six-week program where we spent the first five weeks in different institutes. For example, I was at the Syracuse University in New York mm-hmm. with 25 other African youth leaders, and I was able to find out what Zambia is doing. I was able to find out what the Central African Republic is doing. Mm-hmm. I was getting to find out how they perceive South Africa, and that the challenges that I saw in South Africa, they saw as opportunities. Uh, by the time that we met the president, um, in Washington, I had had so many insights into what was wrong with my thoughts mm-hmm. and how South Africans as leaders think differently um, than our counterparts in different parts of the world. I, for example, met a guy called Serge. He was part of our team at Syracuse, and he's from Central African Republic. So he was like, but are you aware, Zibo, that there is a dysfunction in you being the age that you are and aspiring to buy a Range Rover. And when you are 30, that is when you should be serving your generation because life expectancy in your country is like 75. Zebu, please hold that thought. It's a very important one. I'm going to, to Australia for a minute, but I want us to remember where we were in a, in a bit. I'll come back and talk to you. But right now, Michael Christmas is on the line in Australia. The Netball World Cup is happening. Uh, Michael, what's going on? Well, we're into the third quarter of this match between world number one, Australia, and world number five, the Spa Proteus, and it's all Australia's way at the moment. 48-20, they lead with about five minutes left in this third quarter. They took the first quarter 23-5. They raced to a 10-0 lead, and then... The Spa Proteus coach, Norma Plummer, calling a timeout midway through that first quarter. It seemed to have some sort of effect because the Proteus scored their first goal immediately thereafter. But it took them about seven minutes to just get uh, get the ball and score that first goal against the, the dominant Australians. The second quarter went the way of Australia as well, 38-12. But uh, a marginally better performance by the Spa Proteus in that quarter when uh, they lost it only 15-7. So they did improve but it's still very much Australia leading here at the moment, 48-20 in this third quarter. Michael Flickmas for SFM Sports in Sydney. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, putting the ladies in the limelight. Putting the ladies in the limelight. Shadow Twala on SFM.
And my guest is Zibu Mteane. We're talking about, she's a Mandela Washington Fellow, and she's uh, really sharing her experience as, as, as uh, in fact, after, after meeting President Barack Obama, but also young leaders' responsibility around the continent. Um, are they ready for it or not? And then um, you had, Zibu, I want you to repeat, because how your thoughts were kind of misplaced until you spoke with, what's his name? Uh, Serge from Central African Republic. Serge, yes, and, 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 and take us through it. Well, his idea of what youth leadership is about and my idea of what youth leadership is about was, was so different in, in the sense that he felt that at age 30 is when I should be serving my community. He made um, a reference, for example, to say there was a time where our leaders, my, the generation before me, so the Steve Vigos, the Nelson Mandela's, that is when they gave up their own comfort for my generation to be where we are. Mm. And before leaving for the trip, I really felt that I deserved my car and I deserved my house because I'd worked hard for it. And he made me see that actually I didn't work hard for it. The generation before me made it possible, and therefore there's a responsibility for me to work for the generation that is I am leading so that they can also experience better. But I had this high sense of I work hard, and there was a moment where he said, do you know that at some point young white men felt that they deserved their cars and their houses and they had worked hard for them. And in fact, they had received a privilege from a previous generation of white men. Mm -hmm. So that was such an insight in terms of how I viewed leadership and how I viewed service. Uh, so by the time we all coalesced in Washington, we had had several discussions about what is leadership? Why do we complain, for example, about our leaders? What is it that we are doing ourselves that is perpetuating that dysfunction? And for me, the biggest insight was we are all not serving each other. So I think as the message that we had as a group was a commitment, even across the different African countries, as a cohort, we committed to serving each other in the same way that we commit to serve our generation because service is an idea that we are willing to work for. But when we are absent from, from serving other people, then that is when life becomes shabby and dissatisfying, and that's when we blame leaders for doing things that we wouldn't do ourselves if we were those leaders. And that, that was basically the interactions that happened with within the cohort at the different institutes and meeting the president and having it reiterated that there is a responsibility that comes with leadership was really reinforcing and it was really invigorating for us as, as the delegation. Oh, I love Serge so much because, I mean, that's the kind of conversation all young people ought to be having. But, Zibu, I'm so jealous. How are you spreading that message that you just shared with us? How are you encouraging more conversations in South Africa now that you're back home to, to you know, to disseminate that information, uh, get people um, to, to thinking to shift, you know, um, 
and, and, and get, get young people as excited as you are because now you understand what service is about. And now I think it's changed your outlook even in the way you run your company, even in the way you strut your stuff when you drive that nice car. You, you know, the, 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 there's a changed person in you. So how, how do we make it okay to think the way you do and continue to do the right thing? You know, um, during the six weeks, we were all given pre-departure and orientation where we were asked, what is your essential question? So uh, before you even disembark to represent your country and your generation in the program, what is it that you, you want to have answered? And they had made us all aware that our essential question will morph, will change will adjust when we, as we interact with other leaders from the different countries. But my essential question even before I left was, what if it's not that capitalism won? What if it's, it's just that communism failed first? And I, I didn't have an answer on how that would work, but in the six weeks that we were there at the Institute interacting with people, from the different African countries and listening to how they are more active in their citizenship, I came up with the program. We call it Ibuto Youth Organization. Mm -hmm. And Ibuto Youth Organization is a voluntary active citizenship program where the youth are able to... We are focusing on changing the perspective. I'm aware that it's not actually changing. You, You can't change the reality in which the youth live in. But you can change the, the way they perceive their reality mm-hmm. that enables them to be able to overcome it. So, for example, yesterday I was speaking at AECOM with their young women in engineering. And in that discussion I said I'm there to introduce them to themselves. Mm-hmm. because I've had an opportunity of having somebody introduce me to Zibo, and the way in which I'm interacting with Zibo now is much more different than it was before I got introduced to her. And I made them aware that there are women in an engineering company in Africa at a time where Africa is rising, where we've got the highest number of youth in the whole continent, where we are the least developed. So if they right now are building roads in South Africa, there is a whole continent where roads are still to be built, and they have an opportunity to innovate on that. And there is no permission that is going to be given that's going to say, dear young engineering technician in AECOM, we now anoint you to design better roads. We now anoint you to come up with innovation. They can either wait for people to come from Europe, from America, from other countries and advise us on how to grow our continent, or they can be awake to the opportunities that are happening in engineering in South Africa and in Africa, and they can take advantage of that as as, as South Africans. And I made an example that... In a conversation with Aurelie from Benin, I discovered that, you know, the manholes that used to be steel. South Africa, when we started our recycling industry, we realized that there is, people started stealing those manholes because they could trade them in for steel. Benin is still manufacturing them using steel. So I was able to tell her that, you know what, in a couple of years, when you guys start recycling steel, you are going to have a problem. So you might as well start now implementing newer technologies and using polymerics to you to close those manholes. So if I am able to identify new business, new innovation through more interactions within the continent, then 
definitely them as engineers, if they start interacting with engineers within the continent, it will grow. So really my aim is to change their perspective for them to not think small, to not think South Africa, to not think AECOM, but to realize that we are on a continent and the continent is big and it's got as bright minds as we have and we can interact with them. We don't need permission. So that is, that is the work that I'm starting to do to recruit the youth to develop and start branches within their areas to identify what it is that they can do. This mm-hmm. morning we're having a discussion about the challenges that they're having in Amlazi where they've not searched the refuse because apparently the tender that had been allocated, the persons <laughs> are, are not delivering. So mm-hmm. I'm saying if I had an Ibuto branch right there, just now, I would have already contacted the branch chairperson and said, could you round up volunteers and can you please remove the refuse from the streets? Because we don't need to constantly complain about the mayor. Maybe what will wake the mayor up is to hear that the youth of Umlazi have come out of their houses because they are mostly unemployed, 40% of them. They've taken the refuse and they put it in one place. So that will, that will inspire the mayor to see that actually I'm going to be embarrassed. These people are doing something. So it's Zibu? our perspective that needs to change. Zibu, stay on the line once more. I'm back talking to you after this. 107.1, the home of SAFM in Seapoint. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Yo, Zibum Tiane, I, I, I could talk to you for hours. Zibum Tiane is the CEO of Zolusha Polymerics, a company specializing in the design and manufacturing of synthetic steel products. Already she's made a contact um, on another part of the continent and given, you know, solutions to the problems. Ibuto Youth Development, how do people become part of it, Zibo? And how do you influence other youth organizations that exist? Um, we, Ibuto Youth Organization ha- is launching the website this upcoming weekend. We have a very inspirational young man from Mr. Kawini who is doing the design for okay. us. Okay. Uh, so uh, uh, after this weekend, people are going to be able to go to www.ibutoyouth.org. In the meantime, we and be able to register. We say that we are looking for five types of people, leaders who inspire action by co-creating solutions. We're looking for students who are dedicated to exploring and learning for the benefits of society. We are looking for givers who give of their time and expertise to help others succeed. We are looking for globalists who think locally and act globally. And Together, all of those different types of people who are committed to creating a South Africa in which we all want to live, we will form Ibuto. And my return to South Africa is to go and find these five types of people from all walks of life and compel them to see that our unequal society as South Africans is not sustainable and that we don't need permission from government to be a rainbow nation. We can create a South Africa we want to live in. Zibum Tian, I'm so glad to meet you. The new you, by the way. <laughs> how, how, I'm glad to meet me too. Yes. Now, how do people, is it quickly, uh, we run out of time. Do you have a website or an email where people want to get hold of you in the meantime? Yes, we, we have an email. It's info mm-hmm. at youthorg.co.za. Info at youthorg.co.za. Yes. Wonderful. We'll be in touch. Thank you so much for your time and well done. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Mamshado. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
Zibumtiana there. Uh, it is now time for news headlines. Tabule Mwato. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Finding out what young ladies are busy with, how they impact their communities, and one such lady is Tato Kanya. Katanye, a social entrepreneur and who saw an opportunity to make a positive impact in her community. And she joins me now on the phone. Tato, hello. Hi, Ma'am Shara. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being such a bright spark. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, tell us, tell us you, you were sitting doing nothing and then an idea came. Tell us that. Um, so, I myself, um, my name is Tata Khatanya, as you've already explained, and I'm from Rustenburg, and I'm only 22 years old, but this is not what makes me interesting. But the actual company that I founded, which is called Ritaka, which makes repurposed school bags. So what these bags are, are made from plastic shopping bags, which we upcycle. Um, and then on each bag, we've got a solar panel so that while a child is walking to school, the solar panel charges, and then when they get home, then they can use it as a light to study. Wow. Wow. So that's what the company does. But what was your background? What did you know about all of this before you even came up with the idea? I think it, it all starts with with actually looking at the world and looking at problems and not seeing them as such, but rather seeing opportunities to create solutions that are meaningful. So I myself studied branding, um, and the company was only started at 18 with friends, but they have since left the business. But what's important to note is it was just an idea, and it didn't mean anything until it got to a point where we said, how do we actually make sure that we get these bags into the hands of kids? So uh, you come up with this idea again. I'm trying to help somebody who's listening who may have a problem and they have a solution to a problem but don't know how to go about it. You know, you put your heads together with friends and you think, oh, this is a great idea. We could do this. But startup, everyone thinks, oh, I need some money to do this or even to go and collect. You know, we always see problems first. So what was the drive for you to be looking for solutions all the time? I think at the end of the day, it starts with looking for possibilities. So, for instance, when people get an idea, they get so overwhelmed about, you know, how how big of an impact it's going to make, can it exist in the world, and the answer surely should be yes, because when you start out as a company, one thing a lot of entrepreneurs and more so social entrepreneurs need to realize is that you are not alone. So for instance, in our company, we're currently working with Unilever Bright Future mm-hmm. um, to actually get to a point where we're not just, we're not just, you know, a small business, but we're looking at what possibilities are out there. How can we get the community um, to be involved? So for instance, through the Bright Future essay campaign that Unilever is running, we're actually engaging the larger community to come on board and say, you know, as South African citizens, what can we do? And it's not just, you know, a corporate multinational such as Unilever coming to the forefront, but it's saying, you know, as an SME, we're standing up with providing such such um, great innovations, really. And as the community, as individuals, how can people come on board and contribute? So, Really, it's an idea, but it starts with, with saying, the African saying where it says a child is not actually raised by, you know, one parent or two parents, but rather raised by a community.
It's it's the second time that saying has come up this week on my show. So it, it yes. means, you know, we, we all think the same way and in, uh, or, or rather inspired by the same words. But tell me, so the, the, the recycled plastic bag, um, textiles, uh, uh, and, and now a solar panel in there, and you put this in the hands of kids. But do mm-hmm. these children understand how you're doing this? And is there a possibility of partnering with them? Because I suppose you may, this is also an opportunity to inspire them to do better for themselves. Yes. So I myself, I'm a young leader, right? And in in, in being an example in the community, we need to understand that businesses should not be driven by by making a profit, but profit should rather come as a consequence of doing good. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at how can your business do good, for instance, in our case, when it comes to communicating effectively what it means to give a child light, something so simple, mm-hmm. um, but it might be misunderstood, but in our case, we've understood that, you know, a child who, for instance, has a candle um, a week to study, if the candle burns out, let's say, on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, they then don't have light to practice their math sums, for instance, mm. to study for their tests the next morning. And these are the issues that are currently facing young people in our classrooms. So we talk about the text saga, uh, the textbook saga, kids not having um, books to study, but are we actually asking the right questions to say, can children read these books? So it's coming up with creative solutions that, you know, at the end of the day, understand what a child is going through. So so how, how, how are you distributing these bags, uh, Tajo? So what we've currently been doing is we actually have corporates coming on board, right? And what corporates then do is they will then purchase. So the likes of Unilever, for instance, will come on board, purchase school bags, and then what they will do is they will go identify a school which they will donate the school bags to. So the children will get the bags for free, right? Or if a corporate comes on board purchases the school bags, then we will find a school that we will match the corporate to. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like an adopt-to-school kind of model. Um, and what we do through through doing that is we try and see that, you know, it's not just, just another giveaway or just another way of doing CSI, but it's actually meaningful, right? And at the end of the day, we, we, we're looking at, okay, Yes, we've we've done social good, but also our environmental footprint, does it have a positive impact? Have we recycled? Um, have we have we looked after the kids? Have we created jobs that jobs out of actually manufacturing these bags? And the answer has been fortunately yes in in our case. Do you know you said you were twenty two? Yes. I believe that our country is in such great hands. The future looks very so bright through your eyes, Tato, and I'm so proud of you. How do people Thank then? So how do people then get the repurposed school bags? Um, so people can actually go on to um, brightfuture.unilever.coza. Mm-hmm. So it's brightfuture.unilever.coza. They could also go on to find out more about um, the campaign around Bright Future and ask young leaders to read more about other young leaders, not just myself, but read more about other, you know, inspiring 
projects and initiatives that are out there. And then they can also go onto our Facebook, which is Repurpose School Bag, our Facebook page. And then we also have our website, um, which is RepurposeSchoolBags.com. RepurposeSchoolBags.com. Well, thank you so much. So proud of you. And I salute you, salute you, salute you, Tato. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And all the best, eh? Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Mm, I'm, I'm a happy girl. I'm a happy girl. Okay, we'll take a little break. When we come back, hopefully we talk about uh, African Narratives Book Drive, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes with Claire Rose Julius, uh, who is the general manager at Porcupine Press. Maybe you can help with some books. And, of course, uh, I, I think that game is over. The Netball World Cup crossing, we'll find out with uh, Michael Flissman. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala. Putting the ladies in the limelight. Putting the ladies in the limelight. So Claire Rose Julius is a general manager at Porcupine Press. She joins me now to tell to tell us about the African Narratives Book Drive. Hello, Claire Rose. Hi, Shadow. Thanks so, for having me on the show. No, thank you for joining Thanks. us. So, so tell Thanks. us, what's the book drive about? Yes, um, the book drive, uh, we basically, I just want to go back to where it all started. Um, we recently visited a school at the, in the West Rand, and um, going into the school, we saw a very nice library. It's got all the facilities, bookshelf, but there were no books. And that was just so uh, horrific to us that we decided to have this book drive to actually get books into this West Rand school. So um, it's running under African Narratives. Uh, We opened it up about a month ago, and it's running until the end of November. We extended the date from the end of October to the end of November, and we need books to get into these schools. It's basically three schools in the West Rand, um, one primary and one high school, and I'm not sure about the other one. Um, But um, to all your listeners, I just want to... um, call for as many books as possible. And in our search of actually finding uh, partners where the books can be left, we also find found other initiatives, literature uh, initiatives going around. And I just want to mention a few of them um, because if you cannot drop the books at us, there's various other places where you can drop the books as well. Um, Johannesburg Libraries, they've got an initiative running um, for the next five years and you can go around to any of the Johannesburg Libraries and they've got um, orange on big orange containers where you can just drop the books into. And then we found a youth development movement in Molaking, also on the West Rand, and they running an underground library, believe it or not. And these guys are so proactive. They've partnered up with um, the Mail and Guardian, and uh, for them you can drop books off at the Mail and Guardian. Okay. Okay. So there seems to be a lot of information that people require to give these books, but they're from from grade R to grade 12, I understand. Is that it? Yes, that's right. It's um, any range of books from grade R to grade 12, and also general books. If the books are not suitable for the schools, um, we've recently set a partnership with a company, uh, a Section 21 company called Boasa. Bookshop Association of South Africa, and they've got local, uh, 120 local um, 
uh, bookshops in stationery shops around mm-hmm. South Africa, mm-hmm. and anything that's over from the book drive will give it over to Bohasa so that they can actually sell it out of their local bookshops. Okay, okay. Yes. Now I think you must you must you must direct us to one place. <laughs> that will give us all this information that you've got because there's just too much to take in now. No, I understand. So you can drop books off. No, 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 no. Is there is uh, there a website or an email that one can can send and then they get all this information that you've given us? Yes. For more information, they can visit our website, which is www.africannarratives.org.za. Africannarratives.org.za. Yes. No, 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 no. AfricanNarratives.org.za, and that's it. Not co.za, hey? Okay, fantastic. I I think we've got that. And so, Porcupine Press, no. Not for that. Um, Porcupine Press, we did put it on Porcupine Press's website, but we're running the initiative under our Section 21 company, okay, which is African Narrative. Fantastic, fantastic. Yes. Well, all the pairs clear. I hope you collect as many books as possible, and we'll talk again just to check up on you. Huh? Excellent. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Okay, Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Claire Rose Julius, General Manager at Porcupine Press, and that email address again, info at africannarratives.org.za. Um, and I am told that in a few minutes we will cross to. I thought that game was ending anyway because it, it looked like Saska Spa Proteas were not uh, going to. Uh, it was five minutes into the game and they were not going to be winning that game in five minutes, I, I don't think. And Australia, which is number one in the world, was already at 48 for 20 at the time. But uh, we will we will find out from Michael Flismas and see he's out in Sydney at the Netball Netball World Cup. Never heard of a Netball World Cup before, but I suppose you know it, it, it's always been there so many years. But uh, you know I, I I don't know if Michael's there. But you know what? We'll catch up with Michael after our children's story. It is now time for Na Libali. <laughs> 